I'm going to pray as we get into this text. Our Father, uh, we come to you again in prayer, and it's good to do such, because uh, when we do, we, we remind ourselves of just how great our need is, that there is uh, treasures, precious jewels, gold in what we've just read, and we pray uh, that you would help us to see it, to take it to heart, uh, to bury it in our souls so that we might be transformed. There's power in this word of yours. And I pray that somehow your spirit would work uh, through my words to um, say what needs to be said. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it seems to me that that a pressing question for us these days is, how do we find unity? How do we find connection with one another? Because we have... There is, uh, there's no shortage of disunity in our country, right? Our nation is divided in all sorts of ways within Christ's church. There's divisions, uh, not just between all the various denominations that we have, but even within, within churches, there's division, there's breakdown. And yet we long, I think all humans long for connection. We long for, 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 for unity. We want to see ourselves become unified, like whole, integrated, connected to ourselves. We want to be connected to other people, united to to, to people. We want to be in good relationships with our neighbors and our loved ones and our family. Uh, We want to be united nationally, right? We're the United States, right? I mean, that's kind of in our title. That's one of our goals. We want to be united Globally, I remember growing up um, in the 1980s, I think it was like 1985, all the best musicians of the land came together and sang, we are the world, we are the people, um, you know, we are the ones that are going to make a brighter day. And that's a, that's, a, that's a noble thing to long for. It's what we want, unity among, among humanity. Well, I... Stumbled across this past week an interview um, with Brad Pitt. It was a couple years ago, uh, but it was interesting because he, he, the interviewer, sort of takes him into the arena of spiritual matters and faith. And it, it's interesting. Um, I think I may have mentioned this before, but Brad Pitt was born in Shawnee. His parents went to OBU. He moved at some point when he was younger to Missouri, but he grew up Southern Baptist. He grew up in the church, and eventually came to reject Christianity and became uh, a self-proclaimed atheist. He said, I don't know that I was an atheist. I think that was sort of like my punk rocker stage. It was Atheism was just my way of kind of rebelling against everything that I had grown up with. And so really, he says this, quote, I found myself coming back around to just belief in, he says, I hate to use the word spirituality, but just a belief that we're all connected. So he believes in kind of this something beyond what we can see that connects us all. And then the conversation steers towards what's the content of that belief. And this is what he says. Oftentimes faith can be seen as an escape from ourselves. We believe in something outside of ourselves. But faith properly understood should draw us inward, into ourselves. We miss what's right before us, Pitt says. 
if we fail to real, if, if faith fails to take us in to ourselves. And I think what Brad Pitt is expressing is a pretty common belief that you see in our culture. And it's this, it's, it's that if, if you can turn inward and find the authentic you, your true self, then flowing out of that encounter with the true you is a connectivity with the world around you. So look in to get connected outside of you. That's, that's kind of the belief, right? And you'll find connection with others. And, you know, this is, Brad Pitt wants it. I want it. I think we all want unity. And I believe this passage this morning speaks to this question of how we get united with one another. So that's, those are the two, those are the, that's the topic, union with, Christ, union with one another and union with God. So the first point in our sermon is unity with, with others. And you see this in verses 22 through 30. Unity with others, uh, if you're taking notes, verse 22 through 30, and then we'll consider unity with God, which we'll look at in these final verses, verses 31 through 36. So unity with others. Now a little background here. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels as, the, as they're called, they uh, give us a pretty like clear break between John and Jesus. John baptizes Jesus, and then the, the baton is handed off to Jesus, and Jesus begins his ministry. But John's gospel gives us a little insight. John zooms in on the baton passing, and we see John and Jesus running together for a short period as the baton is handed. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is baptizing. what His disciples are baptizing. His disciples, as we learn later, his disciples are baptizing the baptism of John. They're not, it's not Christian baptism. It's the baptism of John. It's the baptism of repentance. And simultaneously, John is doing the same. And so that's, that's the background. And there's this beef that begins between John's disciples and Jesus's disciples. And it all starts with the conversation on purification. Uh, John's disciples start asking, and, and they have this question of this, of this Jew, which leads to the concern that's raised in verse 26. Here's the concern. Rabbi John, he who was with you across the Jordan, Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. He's getting the big crowds. John, you, you started this thing, John. This is, your, this is John's baptism. And now Jesus is doing the same thing. And look, they're growing and we're shrinking. Are you okay with that? That's, that's what they're asking. We don't like what we're seeing. They're on the same team, Team Jesus, John's disciples, Jesus' disciples, and yet there's a little rift between the team. Offense isn't like what they see out of the defense of unit, right? There's a division within the same team. Now, um, do we not see something similar in church settings, right? I mean, in in America in particular, all the denominations that exist in in America, um, no shortage of that. But even within churches, we see divisions, we see divisions. We see, um, we, we see I, I've seen this happen. A wooden pulpit gets replaced by a plexiglass pulpit. 50% of the congregation leaves. They can't handle it. It's too much. 
or over music. In the last year, I've talked to pastors and even some of you here that have come from other, from, have moved here from other places and talking about the rifts that existed in your church over this issue of COVID. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? I'm, let me say this. I'm grateful that within our congregation, we've not had any major divisions or rifts over this. And I know we all maybe have different perspectives on this, mask wearing and all of that, distancing and the threat of this COVID. But we've, we've remained united, and for that I'm grateful. But that's not always going to be the case. Even within this church, there will be divisions at some point. Uh, at some point. Tim Keller, I think, has said that, um, he's, he's a, I think it's Tim Keller that observed this. He said, you know, in, within the same service, um, you can have like a person raising their arms, singing, swaying to the music, and they see somebody else standing in the pew, just stone cold, statue-like, and they think to themselves, man, they're not worshiping the Lord. They don't know what's going on. Why are they even here? The person raising their arms is thinking this about the person standing stone cold. And then the sermon begins, and the stone cold guy is, you know, carefully taking notes. He's nodding his head as the preacher speaks. And then the person that was waving their arms is kind of like drifting off, kind of looking out the window. And the person's taking notes, thinking they don't worship God. They're not thoughtful about their faith. They don't care about the Bible, right? All these little divisions that can rise up, even in the course of a service, in our minds. Because eventually what's going to happen is those little thoughts work their way out in real, tangible ways in every church. Inevitable. It's going to happen at some point. So what do we do? What happens? I mean, this isn't even to mention the, the disconnection and disunity that exists outside the church. Right? I mean, political animosity, social media rage... There's a lot of anger out there. There's, there's, there's a rift between urbanites and uh, people in ruralites. Um, there's racial divisions that have been on full display this past year. Right, there's no shortage of, of, of disunity. And so this question is an important one. Let's see how John diffuses the situation. So his disciples come up. You okay with that, Jesus? This is what John says, verse 27. John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Okay? First, this is what John first says. Look, everything we've received is a gift from above. Gift. Right? It's a gift. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. James, James 1.17. It's all gift. And what does gift produce in the heart? Does it produce jealousy? No, it produces gratitude. And gratitude is a key ingredient for unity. Jealousy is a key ingredient for disunity. So gift, first thing. And then um, continuing, oh, let me say this too. John is also saying that, notice that he's looking outward and upward in order to begin working towards unity within his ranks with Jesus' disciples. Like, he's not turning inward. He's saying, remember, it's gift from above. That's where it begins. He's looking to the source of his call, and, his, and God's blessing him in that call, which is God the Father. And then he continues, verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, 
but I have been sent before him. So John says, look, all along my claim has been, I am simply a sign pointing to Jesus. That's all I'm doing. That's, that's my whole call is to point to him, to point to him, to point to him. At some point, a sign becomes obsolete, does it not? If you're looking for a restroom and you see the sign restroom, once you get into the restroom, you don't need that sign anymore because you're already where you needed to be. John's sort of saying, look, I, I served a purpose. He's here now. And my purpose was, was, was to be a sign. That's it. And then he gives us this wonderful image. Verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The, friend, the best man, right, the, the, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hear, hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Like, I'm, I'm the best man here, and Jesus is the groom. And if, all, if, if the bride, if his followers come to him, praise God, the best man rejoices at the groom's delight in his bride. That's my role. I'm the best man here. This is important, especially I know we have in our midst people that are considering ministry, that are ministering or in leadership position. This Gregory the Great quote, we've, I've mentioned it before, but it's worth bringing up again. Gregory the Great says this, that man is an enemy to his redeemer who on the strength of his good works he performs, he desires to be loved by the church rather than by Jesus. Indeed, a servant is guilty of adulterous thought, a strong language, if he craves to please the eyes of the bride when the bridegroom sends gifts to her by him. John's like, I am a minister, a servant. I'm the best man. I'm just helping the work of Christ get off the ground. Like, Whatever part I can play, that's what I play. But I am peripheral, peripheral, uh, peripherally related to this to Jesus. And then he sums it up, verse thirty: He must increase, but I must decrease. And this is how John diffuses the the, the division that's about to the rift that's about to be created between his followers and Jesus's followers. See what he does? He defers. He, looks, he says, look to Jesus. He defers to Jesus. He says, it's not about me. It's not about me. This is all part of the plan. The plan is that I wane and Jesus waxes. Right? I fade, Jesus brightens. I quietly exit stage left and Jesus, the star, enters stage right. That's the plan. That's how it's supposed to work. He increases I must decrease. There's an inverse relationship to Jesus and John. John fades, Jesus brightens. And that's how unity is built within our congregation, within the church. We step back and let Jesus shine forth. If God blesses our number, if numerically we grow as a church, praise God. If it's like authentic, I mean, now there is a formula that you could kind of plug in to like grow a church, especially in this part of the country. We could, we could probably pull that off. There's been a lot of books written on sort of just like raw church growth. Um, but 
that's not that's not what we're interested in. We want to see authentic church growth. But if a work of the Spirit produces numerical growth, praise God. But if that if the church down the street gets that numeric, like authentic Spirit-induced revival, praise God. Praise God for that church. Like that's our posture. We're all on the same team, and we can't have these little intermural, inner team, inner squad skirmishes because it's all about Jesus. And it comes from above, not, not from looking within. Remember what Jesus calls John? He calls him the greatest of those born of women, which is a pretty strong statement. The greatest of those born of women. Like basically, John's the greatest ever. Because we've all been born of women. And what makes John so great? This is what it is. He happily, John the Baptist, happily and willingly fades so that Jesus can shine brightly. And this is what brings unity. It's not a turn inward. It's a turn outward and upward to Christ. And this this makes sense. Think think about uh, a football team or any, any sort of corporate group that's trying to accomplish something. Let's just take a football team, for example, a high school football team. If a coach wants to achieve unity, he doesn't say, I want you all to withdraw into yourselves, to go kind of each corner, look inward, introspect, develop goals for yourself, and then we'll come together as a united body and organize ourselves around what resulted. No, you have to have, you have, to have goals that stand outside of the individuals, so that all the individuals could look to the same goals. That's how unity is achieved. It has to begin with something outside of the individual. And that's how it works. Not just from Scripture, but in, in life. Okay, now, there's a more, so that's a little bit on unity with, with others. But there's a more fundamental question, and that is, how do we find unity with God? Verses 31 through 36. The only reason that John can diffuse this situation that's brewing, this division, is because John is peacefully at rest with God. How does he do that? Well, verse 31, let's see what it says. He who comes from above, Jesus, who comes from above, is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Now, let me, let me say this too, real quick. What John, what John, the gospel writer, has been doing uh, in his gospel is he gives us these stories, and then he provides us with a little commentary from the gospel writer. And this is, I think, best understood as John, the gospel writer's commentary on the story he just told us about John the Baptist. Too many Johns. It's kind of confusing. So John, the gospel writer, is saying, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. What John is saying is the one who is directionally above us from heaven, who came down, he's also positionally above us. He's above us in his standing. He's above us in his perspective and in his understanding of the world and the universe. By contrast, those of the earth speak earthly things. Let me say this. That turn inward that I think our cult that Brad Pitt prescribed and our own culture kind of embraces, you know, all the way, the turn inward. Uh, that, that, that in order to, you got to find connection by looking into yourself. That is, um, that is not new. 
it was, it's, it's almost straight out of Gnosticism, which was a second century philosophy, religion. And in a lot of ways, John in his writings seems to be kind of anticipating some Gnostic themes in all of his writings. But the, the Gnostics believed that there was this unity in the universe, this, this force, the, the great all, and that that divine force, power, substance had like fragmented and there were little shards of the divine embedded in every individual, in all of our souls. And for the Gnostics, the challenge was through special knowledge to bushwhack your way through your soul to find that little sacred you, that divine shard within you and gain light. That was the belief. It's almost the exact same as what uh, what we believe in our own day, right? That there's a divine you. There's, you have to bushwhack your way into yourself to understand yourself. And all this flourishing will result when you tap in to what is inside you. John says, that's earthly talk. That's coming from people of the earth. That's how earthly people speak. And this is why throughout history, we've seen this sort of religion from the ground up that begins from below crop up all over the world. But what Christianity claims is something very different. Christ came down from above to bring to us this wisdom that cannot be accessed from the earth. We don't get it apart from God's rev- revealing it to us. C.S. Lewis was asked, what makes Christianity unique? And he said, without hesitation, grace. That's it. There's no other religion. Every other religion is a Work, working your way up, up to the divine, up to flourishing, up to God, up to whatever the goal is. But Christianity is about God coming down and shedding his grace upon lost sinners. And that is unique. You don't see that. You don't see that anywhere. But Christianity, because it comes from above. Everything else is from the earth. And so Jesus is bringing us this truth because remember what John says in his prologue? He is truth. And so he, he speaks truth. He is truth. And like divine mysteries and, and, and the secrets of the universe and truth, all truth is like spilling off of his lips. It's like gold and precious jewels that are just falling. It's like a trail that he leaves behind everywhere he goes. It's coming off of his lips. And do we like do we chase after him? Do we scoop it up and like put it in a little treasure box and keep it and preserve it like it's the precious jewels that, that it is? No, this is what John says we do. Verse 32. Yet no one receives his testimony. Not only do we not receive, we either walk away from the gold and the precious jewels of his words or we scoop it up with our hand and throw it back in his face. That was our response to his arrival, to us. We missed it. How could we miss it? The answer is based on what John told Nicodemus, remember? You got to be born again. Your ears, your spiritual ears and your spiritual eyes and your spiritual antenna is broken. You don't receive anymore the truth of God. Your sin has, has bent you toward yourself, and you just, you just don't, it falls flat. You're in a different wavelength. You have to be born again. This is why. Because nobody receives his testimony, 
unless there is some work of the Spirit that awakens us and enables our spiritual antenna to to receive his testimony. Look at verse 34 and following. It says, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, and remember, remember the words of God. This is like the words that uh, brought everything into existence. Some powerful words, the words that sustain the world and all that's in it. So, so he, he utters, the, Jesus is uttering the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into the Son's hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What John is saying is, look to Jesus. This is, there's, a, there's a theme here in all of these sermons. Look to Jesus, receive him, believe in him, so that you can have life, because he is life. And so it's inevitable that, verse 36b, whoever does not obey, we might say believe in the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And this, we find this to be a little troubling, a little problematic. The exclusivity of Jesus, that only life comes through this singular figure in, in human history, Jesus. Why not more ways? It's a problem. People often say, you mean if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm, I get God's judgment? Well, that's, that's not exactly right. And John is trying to make that distinction right here. Right? Jesus isn't the problem. He's the solution. It's like if you're dying on a hospital bed and you're, you're about to die and the, the doctor, she's rushing through a snowstorm to try to save you and she doesn't make it on time and you die and the family is at pains and they say it's the doctor's fault. It wasn't the doctor's fault. It was the disease's fault that you died. The doctor was the, was the solution, was the help. But... This is what John is saying. Look, the exclusivity of Jesus, the, I, the fact that only through Jesus can one access all of these things, it's not uh, because God has this desire to limit access to himself. Not at all. It, it's because of the infinite superiority of Jesus within creation. He's above it. He's, he's the only thing. He's the only person that can be worthy of giving us all of these things. He's God. Nobody else can make that claim. It's his uniqueness and his infinite superiority that gives us the, the exclusivity of him. I mean, it's, it's only, it only makes sense. If Jesus is life and you reject Jesus, you inevitably fall into death. If Jesus is light and you want nothing to do with the light, you inevitably fall into darkness. And the more you run from Jesus, the further into darkness you go. That's just, it's just how it works. And this is how life works. Universally, humans draw upon particulars. Every human being on planet earth lives because of a particular gas called oxygen. And you, you may not like the fact that you have to breathe oxygen to live but it's the only way you're going to live. You can refuse it and you do so at your own peril. Every human being across planet earth relies upon the sun for sustenance and life. 
single thing that we all rely upon for life. And you can refuse it. You can bunker down and never, never see the light of day. But you'll die eventually. You can't do that and live. So it is with these spiritual matters. Everything, John, this is John's claim. And it, this, this is offensive, even in John's day. It's not just offensive in, in our own day. But John's claim is this. Everything that you want is bound up in Christ. Life, light, truth. He's the way. No one comes to the Father except through Him. It's all bound up in the person of Christ. It's not a turn inward. It's not a turn inward. It's, it's not, as the Gnostics would say, or as Brad Pitt would say, it's not that. How could it be? When we turn inward, we become a captive to our own mental wanderings. That can't bring unity. We become captive to our whims and wishes and fluctuating desires and contradicting desires. It does, it, it, that can't bring unity. It just can't. It has to be outside of us. And it is. It's outside of us and it's above us. Jesus is, our, is, is the only hope that we have uh, of, of finding wholeness within ourselves, but also within this community and more broadly. I want to close by considering um, an orange extension cord. Just imagine one. You know, you have them in your garage. Uh, imagine one that's all kind of coiled up. It's just laying there. Um, that orange extension cord is never going to find any purpose or usefulness by plugging itself into itself. There's no life in it. So turning in and plugging it into itself, it's not going to produce any life. It's not going to serve any punct- uh, purpose. It's just going to remain this convoluted mess. But you plug it into a wall, right? And all of a sudden, the thing's flowing with electricity. There's power flowing through that cord. And all of a sudden, it can power other things. And what John is telling us in this gospel is that Jesus is not just a power source. He is the power source. And we're like that extension cord. We're lifeless. We have no life. We're dead. We walked in darkness. We don't want the truth. We don't want any of these things. And to the extent that we look into ourselves to find the resources to live a a fulfilled life, we're just like an extension cord plugging itself in. It's just a lifeless, convoluted mess bent on itself. But John is telling us, if we tap in to Christ, the power source of all the universe, all of a sudden, all that is Christ begins to flow through us. That's what happens. Now you may say, well, but wait a sec. That orange extension cord on the ground, it's just a lifeless thing. How can the orange extension cord get itself into the wall? It has to have something outside of it, right? Do that. A hand has to come up and plug it in. This is what Jesus said. This only comes last week, Nicodemus, this only comes from a work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes and scoops us up, gives us life, gets us plugged into Christ, and we become activated. We become alive. And because we're all plugged into the same source, we we have this union with one another as a result of our union in Christ. We're brothers and sisters, and God is our Father. That's how unity is, is achieved That's how we tap into all the things that Christ brings us, life, 
light, truth. Turn to Jesus. Find life. Find union with yourself, with others, with God. Find the connection uh, that we so long for. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we give you thanks for your revelation. It's from above. And it's not the kind of thing that is generated here on earth. Uh, we have kind of a run-of-the-mill approach to, to you. And what you've given us is so much more um, really accessible because it's grace. It doesn't lean on what we do. It's all about the work of Christ. It's all about the work of your spirit. And we give you thanks for what you're doing in this church what you're doing across the globe through your church. And we pray that we would be a congregation marked um, by a constant leaning, plugging into Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.